how do you live a life that declares to God, hallowed be thy name? By living a life of worship, which will not only exalt him, it will change you. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah reveals exactly how you can expect to be changed by entering into God's presence through a lifestyle of worship. To introduce the conclusion of his message, Hallowed Be Thy Name, here's David. And thank you for joining us for the Friday edition of Turning Point. We're happy to have you along as we continue our discussion of prayer, the great adventure, based on the Lord's Prayer from the sixth chapter of the book of Matthew. We'll get to our study on prayer in just a moment, but first let me remind you that as we look toward the fall, we have some very special things we're excited about. We're going to take our annual year-end cruise to the Caribbean. Uh, it'll be very special. Uh, we're we're looking forward to it with great anticipation. December the 28th through the 4th of January, we'll celebrate the new year uh, on a beautiful cruise ship in the blue waters of the Caribbean. We'll stop in a number of really exciting places, have great music and fellowship. You don't want to miss this. If you can join us, I hope you will. On this fall, we're going to have some rallies. We have not been able to do that because of COVID and trying to get back into the uh, routine after COVID. So here we go again, this time October the 6th in one of our favorite places, Raleigh, North Carolina, October the 13th in Orlando, Florida, October the 20th in Greenville, South Carolina, and Friday, November the 11th in Buffalo, New York. We'll give you the information about the actual places where the rallies uh, will take place and uh, let you know when tickets are available. As you know, we do these rallies in a very unique way. We don't charge for tickets, but you have to have a ticket. And the tickets are free, and you get them from Turning Point. We're not quite ready to release the tickets yet, but we'll let you know as soon as we're ready so you can be among the first. Right now, I just want you to save the date and be ready to join us in the fall. Well, we're ready to finish the week together and finish this message together. It's called, Hallowed Be Thy Name. It's from Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. It's part of the series, Prayer, the Great Adventure. Not only do we hallow his name by rehearsing their meanings, but we hallow his name by respecting his greatness. God is uncommon. He's extraordinary. He's unearthly, he's separated from sinners, he's undefiled, and the Bible says he's holy. And we are to speak of God in reverence. We are to sanctify him, to hallow his name means to hold his matchless being in reverence so that you will believe what he says and you will obey him and you will honor his name. We are given here in this prayer a wonderful tension so that we don't go off in some crazy direction. When we talk about our Father who art in heaven, and remember, he's Abba Father. He is, according to the New Testament language, the Daddy. He's our Daddy. That is intimate. But in the same sentence, we're told, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And God is not pleased when we forget that he is the great and majestic one to whom we come. He's the creator of the universe, and he deserves to be treated with respect and honor. So whatever we may do, Whatever we may say that would in any way diminish his greatness, we ought not to do. We ought to hold him up with great reverence and respect. We hallow his name by respecting his greatness. Thirdly, we hallow his name by relinquishing control over our own lives. Martin Luther said, how is God's name hallowed among us? 
when both our doctrine and our living are truly Christian. We hallow the name of God by the way we live when we give ourselves totally to him and allow him to control our lives. When we say, hallowed be thy name, we are praying like this. May the whole of my life be a source of delight to you and may it be an honor to the name which I bear, which is your name, hallowed be your name. Psalm 1914 is a prayer that we sometimes pray in church. It goes like this, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That ought to be the prayer of each one of us every day. Lord, I hallow your name by giving you the control of my life and living in obedience to you. Fourthly, we hallow his name by recognizing his presence in all of our lives. We hallow his name when we are constantly aware of his presence. David said in Psalm 16:8, I have set the Lord always before me. That's the key. We live our lives in the presence of God. And we honor and respect him. And when we come into his presence, not flippantly, quickly, just sort of with a, oh, by the way, Lord. <laughs> we come into his presence. We prepare our hearts to come and to pray and to honor his name. And I want to say to you, men and women, that if we learn to pray as Jesus taught his disciples, it will make an incredible difference in the way we live. That God does not wish us necessarily to always be rushing into his presence with our grocery lists of things. God wants to be worshipped. The Bible says he seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And when we come to him, we need to bring our gift of worship to him first before we ask him to fill our hands with other things. I am so confident that this is a critical part of where most of us are in our spiritual walk with the Lord. And I'm still just learning. I'm a student like the rest of you. And I wrote down six things that entering into the presence of God with worship changes in everyone's life. It will change your life just as it's changing mine. We're all in the growing process. We're not there yet, but hopefully we're on the road toward understanding more and more about who God is and how he works in our lives every day. And here are some of the things that I reflected upon. Number one, when I worship, when I come into the presence of God with hallowed be thy name, worship enhances my appreciation and my love for God. I am caused to see him as he is. Is God's greatness changed by my worship? Not in the least. Can I add or subtract one wit to who he is? Not at all. But when I reflect in my own heart upon his greatness, when I come in my prayer, and maybe I've learned some of the attributes of God, some of the names of God that tell me more and more about who he is, when I reflect those back to him, something happens within me. The greatness of God is impressed upon my spirit so that I see him and I understand a little bit more about who he is. And the greatness of God is enhanced in my life. I remember preaching a sermon some years ago talking about a lot of folks who have a big God and some who have a little God. And I got all kinds of mail when that went on the radio because some people thought I'd gotten into idolatry. I had to straighten that all out. And that's not what I was talking about. I was talking about the fact that sometimes the way people respond to God, their God is very little. He is circumscribed by their own restrictions. 
They have never seen God as the scripture presents him, and they have never worshipped that God. It's as if God were out there waiting for us to come and see him. And in the back of our mind, we have an image of who he is, and it's not a very enhancing image. It's sort of uh, not a very great image of who God is. And then the day comes and we're allowed to go into his presence. And for one moment, we see him as he really is. And all of a sudden, our whole expression and appreciation for God changes. That's what worship does for me. Every time I really understand what's going on in my own heart as I worship the Lord, I begin to see God and he is enlarged and enhanced in my own heart, not as he is, but in my heart. Number two, when I worship, worship expands my vision. You know, one of the things we're prone to do is to look at life in terms of our own limitations. That's the way the average person does. When I worship God, I begin to see life not in terms of what David Jeremiah can do, but I began to see life in terms of what God can do through David Jeremiah. There's a big difference, my friend. I am a very limited, flawed human being. And if it's just me doing my thing for God, it's not going to accomplish very much. But when I worship God, something happens within me. It expands my vision to think about what God can do through me, what he can do through you. I'm reminded often of one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament about the spies who went into the land. (laughs) You remember that story. It's like a lot of things that happened. The majority report came back and they all said, we can't do it. (laughs) That's the way a lot of majority reports come back. You know, we've gotten the idea that majority is always right, but a lot of times in the Bible, the majority was wrong. (laughs) And the majority came back and they said, we've been into the promised land and we've checked it all out and we want you to know what our appraisal is. Our appraisal is like this. Those are some big people. Those giants were eight feet tall and taller. The Anakim, they're called. And the majority report came back and they said, we checked them out and we checked them out and you want to know what our appraisal is? We are like grasshoppers before them. And we don't think we should mess with them. We don't think we should go in. God had told them to go in. They said, no, we don't. We saw them. We saw us. We're like grasshoppers. Joshua and Caleb, the minority report, they came back and they said, you know, we were in the same land, walked down the same street, saw the same giants, saw the same situation. But what we want you to know is those are some big people, but they are no match for God. And the only difference in the majority report and the minority report was the comparison. The majority compared themselves to the problem and the minority compared the problem to God. The large group had a small God. The small group had a large God. And what happens when you worship, my friends, when you come into the presence of God and you say, my Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name, and you reflect upon his greatness, all of a sudden you begin to see things in a much different perspective. Number three, worship not only enhances my appreciation and love for God and expands my vision, but thirdly, worship eclipses my fears. I was in Cedarville to speak at the college where I graduated in Ohio. And I don't know how these things work, so I'm gonna show my ignorance, but in Cedarville, Ohio, there was a full eclipse of the moon. And we went out to eat to some ice cream place that we go out to eat. And afterwards, we, 
walked out and everybody was standing in the parking lot looking up at the sky. And nobody had told me this was happening, so I didn't know what it was. And I walked out and I looked up and sure enough, up there, you could barely see the moon. You could just barely see the little edges of white around. It was totally covered. When I worship God, that's what happens to my fears. Any of you ever have any fears? Are you fearful people? You know what? We're all fearful people to some degree, aren't we? We can talk about our bravery, but we have these fears in us. And I've said this to you before, and I've discovered this in my own life, and this is a very practical thing, that sometimes if life kind of piles up on you during the day, you don't really think about it too much, except you sort of take it to bed with you at night, and it sort of works on your subconscious. And then you wake up in the morning, and you wake up with this spirit of fear about the day, the appointments, the sickness, the problems, the difficulties, the children, whatever. I'll tell you, the best anecdote I know to fear is worship. When you worship God, when you see God in his holiness and in his righteousness, when you reflect back to him all that is innately true of him, all of a sudden, the cloud begins to cover your fears and they're eclipsed. I speak to you biblically and therapeutically. It works. It's the truth. Number four, when I worship, worship not only enhances my appreciation and love for God and expands my vision and eclipses my fears, but worship energizes my work. When I hallow his name, my work gets done. And I'm not alone when I say that. I know that's true. Now, here's the struggle I have. And it's the struggle you have. I'm a type A. Have you figured that out? I'm very energized and task-oriented and project-oriented. and want to see things get done. And around here, I'm not lacking for projects. Believe it. And so every day, I know when I walk to my office to begin to think through the process of the every day, I know there is a multitude, a myriad of things that need to be cared for. And they're all things I like to do. And I struggle. And this is the struggle. I'm busy today. My agenda's full today. Maybe I shouldn't spend so much time alone in the word, in prayer. Maybe I better, Lord, I got a lot of things to do. And I remember reading one time, Andrew Murray said, in one of his journals, he said, Lord, I got so much to do today, I'm going to have to spend two hours in prayer instead of one. I think he had something there. Because let me tell you what I've discovered. When I worship God, when I hallow his name, when I lift him up with my heart and my spirit at the beginning of the day, my work gets done a lot better. Do you know what God does? He tells people to call me that I'm supposed to call. I mean, can you figure that out? And somebody I got to talk to ends up at the same restaurant where I go to eat. And all of a sudden, I look back on a day that looked overwhelmingly impossible to me, and I put God first, and I hallowed his name, and all of a sudden, my work is energized, and my day goes better. I'm not talking here about something that I don't know to be true from experience. Let me tell you something, friends. I've tried it both ways. (laughs) And I recommend that you begin your day with God and that you hallow his name. When you hallow his name, 
You're energized in your work. Number five, when you hallow his name, when you worship, worship will encourage your spirit. The Bible says it like this. You can trade in your spirit of heaviness for the garment of praise. You can literally see your own spirit encouraged. And then the last one's the one I love the most. Because I know this is to be true in my life. Worship exhausts my enemy. <laughs> Did you know that the one thing that Satan doesn't like just about more than he doesn't like anything else? He doesn't like worship. I used to be confused because when I started studying the book of Revelation, I thought it was one of the greatest books. I don't think it was real hard to understand because it's sort of self-interpreting. But it's amazing how many people don't read the book of Revelation and they've been told that you can't understand it and it's a tough book and they've kind of been mesmerized by it. And one day it suddenly dawned on me that the enemy was behind all that because you see the book of Revelation gives the final record of what's going to happen to Satan. Tells you about him. And so he doesn't want you to read that. So he'll keep you from reading it. And he'll sell you all kinds of stuff about not reading it. Because it's the story of his demise. I always loved what people said. You know, if Satan's bugging you about your past, you tell him about his future. Isn't that a great thought? You know, that's a great thing. <laughs> One of the things Satan loves to do is to harass God's people. But I want to tell you something. He does not know what to do when he sees one of God's children on their knees in prayer and in praise. Amy Carmichael used to say it this way. I sing the doxology and dismiss the devil. <laughs> Satan is allergic to praise. So if you want to do spiritual warfare, I can tell you about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and the shield of faith and the armor and all of that. But I don't hear very much about this, but I know it's true. The Bible says that worship is warfare, and when you worship God, you do battle with the enemy. And I love to think about it this way. It just exhausts him. He has to work ten times as hard to get anything done. Praise God. Let's wear the old man out. <laughs> One of the ways you do that is with praise and worship. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Do we not all of us agree that far too often we rush into the presence of God without any preparation. We hardly acknowledge for even a moment who he is. And then we wonder why our prayers seem so insipid to us and we have lost our sense of worship and joy. I grew up in a family that lived almost all of my growing up days in a college environment. My father was a college president and we used to talk a lot about all the Christian colleges in the United States. One of the more famous ones and probably one of the leading ones at least for many years was Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois. I don't know much about Wheaton College but I remembered reading some books that were written by one of the presidents of that college who was quite a well-known writer and was evidently a godly man. His name was Raymond Edmond. He's written so many books on discipline of life and worship and godliness. And I'd always heard that Ray Edmond went to be with the Lord during a chapel service at Wheaton College. I'd heard that, but I'd never seen the story until recently I found the exact details of what happened to Ray Edmond when he went to the Lord. It was like this. He was speaking at a very special chapel, which had been called because he had not been able to speak for some time. He had been quite ill. And he had asked 
for this opportunity to speak to the student body. It was his great passion as the president of that college to teach his students to reverence God. He used to say over and over again, worship is a serious matter. And on this particular day in chapel, he was back on that theme again of worshiping God. And he was illustrating his point by telling of his recent visit to Haile Selassie, who was then the emperor of Ethiopia. And he was saying in his sermon how challenging it was to be prepared to meet this king, the preliminary briefings and the protocol and all of the things he had to follow and how he walked into his presence and had to bow with respect as he entered the presence of the king. And he said, in the same way, we must prepare ourselves to meet God. We must enter into his presence and hallow his name. And at that very moment, as he said that, Dr. Ray Edmonds slumped onto the pulpit, fell to the floor, and entered the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. For a few moments, said one of the students who was there, we had come to life. The dividing line between heaven and earth suddenly dissolved and we were no longer restless college students with textbooks on our laps, worried about exams the next hour and dates the next weekend. We had joined angels and archangels around the throne and our president was ushered into heaven. And you know what they said about Raymond Edmond after that? They said he probably had the easiest transition from heaven to earth of anybody they'd ever met. There was no groaning and grunting to get out of this life and into that. He had spent so much of his time in the presence of God down here that he just changed venues and went into his presence up there. And I sort of suspect that when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray and he said, hallowed be thy name, he was trying to cut down on the transition time. For men and women down here, we need to learn how to worship God because someday that will be our eternal occupation. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let's hallow his name in all that we do. In this week, as we walk and talk, as we live and move, as we witness, as we work, let us not forget this important lesson from the lips of our Lord, that we come into his presence, first of all, with praise in our hearts. Well, thank you so much for being with us for the Friday edition of Turning Point. This is the program where I take a few moments and encourage you to be to church on the Lord's Day. I was with some friends who uh, travel around the country doing music, and um, they go to churches every week. And they told me that in most of the churches they have been ministering to, the return attendance is less than 70%. Many of my pastor friends have told me that the people are back, but they're not all back, that many of them have uh, either decided not to come back or have not yet allowed themselves uh, permission to return. I want to tell you how important the church is, especially now, when we're under attack from every side by socialism and all the things that are happening in our world that are opposed to who we are as members of Christ's family, 
We need to meet together as his people. Watching a home version of church on the internet is not gathering together. It's better than nothing, and it's okay if that's all you can do. But I want to encourage you once again from from my very heart to get back to church wherever you live, whatever your situation is, whatever your church, the church needs together, the gathering together of God's people. That's the church. And then, uh, folks, if you look around, you'll see that Turning Point is on television almost everywhere in this country. And uh, I'm not contradicting myself when I say go to church and then tell you to watch our program, because usually it's not on during church time. But the television program is very helpful, and uh, it's another way for you to learn, another way for us to communicate. Uh, There's also a live service that comes from Shadow Mountain Church uh, throughout the day on Sunday. You can check that out by going to our our website. And uh, we'll see you here on Monday. Have a wonderful weekend. Thanks for listening. Our message today originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. If you're being blessed by this ministry, we'd love to hear about it. Write us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Answers to Questions About Prayer, with 50 questions and answers to fortify your prayer life. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries and instantly access our content. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue Prayer the Great Adventure here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. One of the greatest adventures in this life is meeting with God through prayer. And to help you go deeper in your practice, Dr. Jeremiah has created a new book called Answers to Questions About Prayer. This new book, along with his classic volume, Prayer, The Great Adventure, are yours when you donate $60 to the ministry this month. And when you give $80 or more, you'll also receive these books as well as the accompanying CD, album, and study guide. Donate online at davidjeremiah.ca. Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we are living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the word, and be in prayer. Did you hear about the preacher who began his sermon by saying, my message today is on the subject of humility, and I truly believe it is the best thing anyone has ever written on the subject. As someone once said, those who profess to know everything have a lot to learn. 
The longer I live and the more I learn about God and His Word, the more I discover how much I have yet to learn. The best way to remain humble in life is to be teachable, to say, Lord, please open my eyes and show me what I need to learn. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover how God keeps us humble on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66, start your journey home today.